0: People think some huge trauma needs to happen before you can use therapy. But really, you can use therapy to get the tools before something bad happens. So visit BetterHelp.com Hacks and learn some new things to help navigate life.
1: Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy
0: i was born at night but not last night so if i didn't accept the endorsement of a person that's got 91 percent of the republican voters in iowa i wouldn't be too smart i'm smart enough to accept that endorsement thank you yeah well faust was smart too yeah, no. State of the party.
2: Well, you know what they say, that Grassley's always greener on the other side. So uh, this
0: this Grassley has turned orange, apparently. <laughs> well, you know, he was so happy with that that little collapse of compass uh, routine he put on that he, he ordered his staff next to knock down that whole thing that he's too old by putting out a web video, or as Grassley liked to call it, a talkie. Okay. Sorry. Joke attempt there. He's old, so you get it? A talkie? Okay.
2: Speaking of bad jokes, who better to join us today than a guy who entertained his colleagues for 16 years in the United States House of Representatives, Steve Israel. Uh, Steve, good to see you. It's, it's good to see hey, you. Steve. Thanks for having From me From his on. headquarters at the Cornell uh, <laughs> Institute of politics we, we're big fans of institutes of politics here all yes, of us you are you know yeah. this is
1: your doing because when i uh, tom davis uh, congressman tom davis and i co-taught a course on the midterm elections at the university of chicago at your institute yes. And, uh, you, uh, you encouraged me to do something similar in New York. And now we're up and running at Cornell.
2: Yeah. I'm still waiting for my franchise fee, but we'll talk <laughs> about that after. We'll talk about that after. So let's talk about this whole rally in Iowa and Grassley. First of all, um, the guy's 88 years old. Okay. How much is, you know, however many years he has left in the United States Senate worth, uh, Uh, aside you know compared to like dying with your dignity your soul but it just shows you the power of trump in this republican party
0: right now and the power of staying in the senate yeah you know it's also the power of just not wanting you know the world's oldest retirement home because there are a lot of ancient senators but for grassley to take a knee like that is incredible
1: And the power of Mitch McConnell. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall in in those conversations uh, when McConnell was, uh, God knows what he offered him, to agree to run and and run as a Trump Republican.
2: Yeah, well, listen, I just want to read just for the record here uh, what Grassley said uh, after January 6th. Everyone must take responsibility for their destructive actions yesterday, including the president. As the leader of the nation, the president bears some responsibility for the actions that he inspires. Good or bad. Sadly, yesterday he displayed poor leadership in his words and actions, and he must take responsibility. That's what he said then. And now he, and he was very, very, he was very, very blunt about, uh, about his motivation here. Uh, this guy's popular, 91% approval among Iowa Republicans. I'm with him. I don't care about the insurrection. What insurrection? But, uh, Murphy, this is a complete, it's a complete freaking takeover of your party there.
0: Well, first of all, he may be 88, but he clearly can do a flying backflip now, (laughs) uh, which he's done on Trump. And nobody's more down on the whole Trump disaster in the party than I am. But he's hardly the first senator who's decided when in doubt, caved to the primary voters. Um, It is a short list in both parties of people who announced their reelection saying, hey, primary voters, here's an issue you're passionate about. You're wrong. Now, I wish he had, because this is not just another issue. This is Donald Trump and shredding the Constitution and an attempted insurrection. So, but it is what it is. The choice they're making is dystopian, which is their perception is Trump can get them beat in a primary. One even told me that. I said, you hate Trump. What are you doing? And the the the, the elected said, uh, look, I could go give a press conference tomorrow and tell Trump what an idiot I think he is and condemn him. And I'd feel great. And two days later, I'd have a primary with a guy in an Uncle Sam suit. I'd probably lose. And Trump wouldn't change at all. So I blow my brains out for no reason. And that is how a lot of them have rationalized marching along rather than setting themselves on fire and losing primaries. Uh, it, it's tragic, but that's the tough reality of politics right now.
1: I remember being in an airport uh, heading home after votes on the last day of the week, and I ran into a, a moderate Republican from uh, from my area, New York State, uh, who detested Trump. Uh, and uh, he had just received his most recent poll uh, from his pollster. uh, And he's looking at his iPhone, his eyes widened. And he said, who do you think is the most popular Republican in my congressional district? And I said, well, I assume it's you. And he said, no, it's Donald Trump. And this Republican went from a moderate Republican to a Trump Republican within about a span of about a week.
2: Yeah. Well, look at Elise Stefanik, uh, your uh, old colleague Mm -hmm. from New York state who was elected as kind of a moderate New York style republican started fearing a primary and went full trump now she's in leadership having replaced liz cheney yeah. uh you know plausibly uh could rise further uh in the house uh you know <laughs> and the, so the lesson is you know jump on the train here but steve let me ask you a question uh because we're going to get into all the reasons for democratic justifiable democratic bedwetting in a second but i want to ask you what whether there are advantages for because i think there may be for trump's uh complete uh takeover of the republican party both in terms of some of the candidates who he might nominate uh who may be less competitive in a general election grassley obviously is not one of those uh and also uh just by putting his imprimatur so firmly on the party, uh, he makes himself potentially an issue in 2022 yeah. uh, for ha- for candidates for both the House and Senate. Totally, like
1: you know, David and and Murph knows that midterm elections are all about energy, nothing else. Energy, energy, energy. And the president's party uh, generally has a hard time feeling excited in the president's first midterm, in any president's first midterm. You went that, that through that with uh, President Obama. Donald Trump is the greatest turnout mechanism that the Democratic Party has ever had. He gives Democrats a reason to vote, and even though he will not technically be on the ballot in uh, in 2022, he will be on the ballot. Uh, in terms of Democrats who want to cast their vote, and they will make this, the Republicans will make this a referendum on Joe Biden, because they have to in the midterm. Democrats will make this a referendum on Donald Trump. The fact that Trump is talking about running again helps solidify the Democratic argument, turns out a Democratic base, and could be one of the saving graces for the Democrats. I agree with you, a lot of bedwetting, justifiable bedwetting, but this could actually turn to the Democrats' advantage in the midterm.
0: Well, it gives them hope. Because normally it's a pure referendum on the new president. Normally it doesn't go well. Trump at least gives them a skyhook to try to change the subject. Now, it would help if Biden were on his game, but we're talking about that in a minute. Trump has a gift, because of his pathological need for attention, Trump does have a gift for injecting himself into (laughs) into everything, even if the Republicans would not have it. Because I can tell you what most Republican consultant types think is, you know, Trump in some ways is stronger in the primary now than he's ever been before because of the whole January 6th insanity. He's sparked because of the grievance, because he's crazy. On the other hand, Trump's craziness, which has helped him a little in the pre-primary world, has hurt him more than ever. He's never been weaker in a general election. Because of the way he's acting and, and the, the fact there's no novelty we we have we've, we've had the bad meal we got sick people don't want it again so it's kind of this double bad scenario more likely to get the nomination less likely to win unless the great saving you know entity that that bails out Republicans the Democratic Party implodes because most Repubs don't think smart Repubs don't think Trump can win but they think the drama, Democrats could indeed lose enough. Uh, to give another shot at the presidency, which, again, is terrifying plenty of people in my party quietly, too.
2: I haven't seen any sort of early— somebody's got to be jumping in there with Trump-Biden rematch
0: polling or Trump versus uh, Kamala Harris or— I've seen a five-point poll. I've seen a private five-point—five to six. It was like five and a half, Mm -hmm. Biden ahead. But, you know, closer than you'd think it would be. You know, we're
2: going to have a test of this— of this in Virginia in a few weeks. And it's interesting, uh, how, uh, hard Republicans have fought to keep Trump out of Virginia. They don't want him campaigning there, uh, because, you know, that is, that is a lot of what McAuliffe's message is, is that my opponent is a, a uh, is a, is a Trump clone. But those polls, Steve, are pretty, pretty damn close there. And we talked about bedwetting. There's going to be a river. <laughs> in uh, in Washington, if uh, Terry McAuliffe loses that race, and right now that seems like it's it's a very very possible. It is. It's
1: very tight, according to the numbers uh, I, I have seen, and that would you know Virginia is kind of the canary in the coal mine going into midterm elections and presidential elections. That off year uh, really determines the narrative, and if if Terry. Loses that election. I'm not sure he will, but if that he loses the election, that really sets a deeply negative narrative going into uh, the midterm.
0: Yeah, the press loves to jam the special election thermometer even if it's boiling hot into the water to announce a great insight but this time it might actually be true you got northern virginia which is very connected to the beltway you know gestalt and what's going on in politics you have biden wobbling in the house you had kabul you have a lot of measurable stuff and the one thing that may save them to your earlier point and I, i it will at least test a hypothesis and my view is it won't be enough of a problem is if you're Trump's people. You're thinking, I cannot let a Republican have an upset rejection of Biden win without being part of it. So I'm going. I'm going to show up whether they want me or not. I'm going to go do a rally down in Norfolk or somewhere uh, 10 days out, and I'm going to claim credit for the win, which may happen anyway. So I have a feeling we haven't heard the last of Donald Trump in Virginia.
2: Yeah, you know, I'll tell you something. Uh, I was looking at polling from Virginia this morning, and the thing that's striking, and this tracks what's going on nationally with Biden's uh, numbers, you know, he carried independence in Virginia. He won the state by 10 points. He carried independence there, I think, by 19 points in uh, 2020. Right now, Youngkin is, is beating McAuliffe among independents. Uh, in that state and uh and and i think and is uh, uh you know uh biden won the suburbs at yunkin and, and is even with McAuliffe in the in the suburbs there um it's a it's a pretty disquieting picture right now i mean terry's a bulldog and uh he has the resources he needs and he may pull his way through that but i tell you what i saw him on a sunday show uh 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 on you know, with Dan Abash on Sunday, he looked, you know, for a guy who's sort of indefatigable and the happy warrior, he looked a little bedraggled. He looked a little beleaguered. He looked a little bit like a deer in the headlights uh, or a guy who understands that he's got a really, really tough race. And yeah, I think that one's going to bear watching. We're going to do more on this in the weeks to come because I think there is meaning.
0: It's turned into a classic challenger race. I mean, look- Calliff is kind of the incumbent, even though he's not the incumbent. So it's this thing where the challenger is only three behind, which means on Election Day, the challenger very well may make it. And Terry's got all the Biden baggage, which is growing. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, the one thing the Democrats tend to have a blind spot is when the real progressive stuff is howling out of the House, whether it be to fund the police or three trillion spending spree, that activates the suburbs in a bad way. And, you know, McAuliffe is catching all that because he doesn't want to step into the party civil war. He's just really in a vice right now, and his opponent can write checks. I'm sure he's depressed because he saw the final TV, and I'll bet they're being outspent. So, yeah, it's rough. If I had to bet right now, I think McAuliffe's going to lose. I think it's tight, but I think he, he could very well go down. And then, as you guys say, the navel-gazing, the second-guessing, all the stuff that's happening under the surface right now is going to explode through. It's It's just a bad narrative for Biden. I
2: mean, you may be right, but I, I wonder, you say, you talk about the progressive stuff howling out of the house. I think the bigger issue is that nothing is howling out of either chamber right now. And, you know, they've been, uh, they're basically stalled. And, uh, so the question is whether that is what's, uh, spooking people or just a sense that things are not moving, uh, in Washington that, uh, you know, the all, all, with all this, uh, promise, uh, they're not able to agree on stuff. I actually I want to hear you on this Steve but I I want to hold the discussion about what's going on the hill for a second. I was always fascinated when I chaired the Democratic Congressional
1: Campaign Committee with Loudoun County, Virginia. Uh-huh. Um because it was it, it's a county that President Obama won in 2008, but then Bob McDonald won it with like 60% the next year. Yeah. So it's an that's exurban the county. county, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the county that I that I love to watch. I just want to own a small radio station in Loudoun County, Virginia. And just count the money coming in <laughs> from campaigns
0: to message that Google. Oh yeah, no, list. no. no. Who wants a gold mine? It'll be better. <laughs> you were
2: regaling us with stories of your your new bookstore yeah, in Oyster Bay, New York. So you're a small business guy. Go ahead and buy it. I might as well, and then just you yeah.
1: know, I'm a Democrat who's become a small business person who's now going to complain about taxes and overregulation. So I might as well. Yeah.
0: I, I have a few <laughs> brochures for you, Steve. I'll be buying two years for the presidential, and uh, we'll yeah. talk again if we dump Trump. We might be on the same team.
1: All of a sudden, I'm I'm dealing with with you know town of Oyster Bay sign permits. Who knew these things when I was in the mem- member of the House of Representatives?
0: <laughs> oh my God! Another guy, another suburban voter lost. You know, there, there's a great old Paul here in LA. County. I, I won't destroy his career. He's retired now, but he's a, he's a he was a huge progressive for 30 years, but an incredibly talented guy. I always wish he ran for mayor. He was just a, a really, and he had a, a big job in the county where all the power is. And we were joking around a year or two ago about one of the initiatives to go spend a bunch of money on a left wing thing. And he was like, damn it, I'm retired. I'm on a fixed income now. I can't vote yes for that crap. I used to pass all that stuff, and <laughs> now I know they waste all the money. <laughs> like, well, you're 30 years too late, but good of you to come around.
2: It speaks well of uh, of Democrats that they get rich and still support taxes, man. Yeah. They, uh, so good for them. <laughs> okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. Hey, there's big news, Hacker Roots, from my favorite home security company, Simply Safe. Just launched their new wireless outdoor security camera. That's right. Simply Safe, the system that U.S. News and World Report names the best home security system of 2021 just got even better. This brand new outdoor security camera is engineered with all the advanced tech and security features you want and need to keep you and your family safe. It has an ultra-wide 140-degree field of view so you can keep watch over your entire yard. It has it has a 1080p HD resolution with an 8x zoom. That means you can zoom in and clearly see things like faces and license plates to capture critical evidence. It has a built-in spotlight with color night vision so you can keep an eye on what's going on day and night. It's super simple to set up and it usually takes just minutes and it has an easy to remove rechargeable battery so it doesn't need an outlet and can go anywhere on your property this camera has it all and it integrates with your simply safe home security system extending its protection to the outside together it means every door. Window and roomer protected, and now your property will be too. To learn more about the exciting new Simply Safe wireless outdoor security system, visit simplysafe.com/hacks. And even better, Simply Safe is celebrating this new camera by offering twenty percent off your entire new system and your first month of monitoring service free when you enroll in interactive monitoring. Again, that's simplysafe.com/hacks. S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E com slash hacks yeah, i want to go backwards uh, for a second and break the all the rules of podcasting to just, just one more thing from that rally because i want to ask you guys about it But one of the first things they did when Mitch McConnell
1: said, we have to get back to business, Mitch McConnell should have challenged that election because
2: even back then we had plenty of material to challenge that election. He should have challenged the election. Schumer would have challenged the election. But Mitch McConnell didn't have the courage to challenge the election. He's only a leader because he raises a lot of money and he gives it to senators. That's the only thing he's got. That's his only form of leadership. He should have challenged the election. All right, there you go. I mean, you got Trump waging. By the way, raising money and giving it to senators probably makes him pretty popular with those senators. But uh, and I don't think Schumer would have challenged the election. But uh, but the main thing is, uh, Murphy. uh, I mean, you know, it is just all out warfare between Trump and
0: McConnell. Where does this all lead? Oh, look, McConnell has always hated Trump. You know, it kind of shatters the cartoon view sometimes people have of politics, but... McConnell, being an ultimate pragmatist, was stuck with Trump, so he tried to use him as a tool to get some things conservatives wanted. But if if they were in a rowboat together in shark-infested water and McConnell had a revolver with two bullets, he'd shoot Trump twice. You know, he'd worry about the sharks (laughs) later. Um, So what's going to happen is McConnell is a muscle man in the inside world. And Trump is a muscle man out with the primary voters. And so it'll be kind of a standoff. It's kind of like an eagle fighting a tarantula. It's kind of hard because they're working at different levels. You know, McConnell doesn't really care as much about primary voters, though he cares about his caucus being in trouble with primary voters. So he probably had to... You know, have Jasper bring in the mint julep and sadly watch cable TV if his pal Grassley doing the dive to get reelected. Um, I, that's my Mitch thing in my head. I always imagine Jasper bring me my stiletto. Um, but but anyway, uh, I'm on I'm on the Mitch side of this. But his ability to curb a Trump and to, to reign in our in increasingly crazed at least half of our primary voters is is limited. So Trump will keep gnawing on him. He's a good foil for Trump among Trump's crowd. And, and Mitch will keep being Mitch, and he'll try to engineer it so that Trump cancer stays out of places like the Pennsylvania open seat Senate race and other paths he has to get the majority, which is what Mitch cares about. But his grip is limited there. He cares about being the leader. Okay. Well, I think he cares about the conservative side being the leader. M- M- Mitch, no, Mitch, come on, Mike.
2: Mitch is you know a conservative, what? and that's not a sin. I'm not calling it a sin. I'm saying one week after this next uh, midterm Mitch McConnell will become the longest serving, if he's reelected, the longest serving leader in the history of the United States Senate. That, I think, is really important to him. And the question is whether Donald Trump, I mean, you're seeing his allies like Portman, like Blunt, uh, people he's close to leaving the Senate, and you have people running for those seats, pledging not to support him uh, if they get elected. Uh, And, you know, I wonder I mean, I don't think Trump is just doing this for entertainment purposes, entertainment purposes. I think he wants to I think he does want to knock McConnell out. And I know McConnell is a sturdy franchise. The question is, when uh, when the Mo Brookses of the world
0: arrive in the Senate, uh, how long does
2: how long can McConnell hang on? That's what I'm asking. what what I'm
0: pushing back on, though, is his vainglorious stuff. I think he'd love another. I, I agree with all that. But he wants a majority. And that's his curtain call. Because yeah. he will have trouble in the caucus and he won't want to get beat. But if he delivers a majority, ideologically that's really important, uh uh because then the, the Rs will have both sides and then, then it'll be the big test. It will it be crazy populism or back to conservatism. I think I, I think I know where McConnell is in that fight, and I think he'd like to see the final chapter uh be a Republican majority. And then you're right, some of these kooks will try to chase him out and he'll he'll probably leave quicker than He'd like to, but that's the situation he'll be in.
2: Yeah. God save the.
0: I mean, I'm not big. I'm not a big McConnell fan. And I think
2: that he's, I mean, I I admire him as a craftsman. I mean, he's, he's, he's canny. I I think he has contributed to some of the erosion of our democratic uh, norms because he is pragmatic and he'll do whatever it takes to get to what he, where he wants to go. And I think in a sense, that's another version of Trumpism. Uh, the sort of valueless pursuit of of power, but nonetheless, uh, I don't think what comes after him will be better.
0: No, it will be worse. All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. Listen, friends, this is one of my favorite sponsors here on the Hacks on Tap podcast, Raycon. These are great wireless headphones. Look, there's so much going on in the world, whether it's stuff you're excited about. For me, that's I like to follow world politics and and interesting news around the world or stuff you'd rather not think about. Well, I'll give you a hint. It's orange. You can't always control the vibes out there, but you can always control the vibes in your head with a pair of Raycon wireless earbuds in your ears, whether you use them to pump up, wind down, work or work out. Raycons are my go-to for on-the-go audio. Axe uses them every time he's down, and Gibbs too, to fire themselves up with the Internationale or the old Marxist National Anthem. Me, I do the nerdy stuff with them. But regardless, these earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With an improved rubber oil look and feel, you don't drop them. Some of the ones have hard plastic. You have a little sweat or something, you can drop them because they're small. The new surface of these things make them very grippy, which is good because you don't want to drop them. That's a nice improvement. You also get three sound profiles to make sure everything you're listening to sounds as very best with just the right amount of bass. Not too thick, but not too thin and scratchy either. It zeroes in, and you can adjust it whether you want pure mode, like if you're listening to me now or to blues or instruments, a podcast. Balance mode, which is also pretty good, or for like heavy metal or something with a lot of width in the sound. And finally, you want that real strong bass for hip-hop or EDM or reggae. You've got a mode for that. There's also an all-new awareness mode for when you need to listen your surroundings instead. Whatever you need, they've got them. And my favorite thing about Raycons is the battery. Eight hours playtime and 32-hour battery life. There's also built-in mics so you can take calls on your earbuds at the press of the button. I might try doing the podcast with these things sometimes, see how they sound. Best of all, Raycons start at half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound fantastic. And there's a 45-day happiness guarantee. So right now, Hacks on Tap listeners can get 15% off their already affordable Raycon at BuyRaycon.com slash hacks. That's BuyRaycon, R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash hacks, and save that 15%. BuyRaycon.com slash hacks.
2: Let's get back to the uh, bedwetters. Uh, Steve Israel. <laughs> um, you hang
1: around. No, you're I've, not one I've, of them. I know I've you're not. I've been introduced one of them. on this podcast as a bad <laughs> joke and <laughs> a bedwetter. I'm not sure I'm coming back, Dave. Yeah.
2: <laughs> all right. Uh, let me say, as a sage, student, yes, that's better. That's no weird. joke,
0: no joke <laughs> at all in politics, a- an eminent former member. I'm going to rescue Axelrod here from his <laughs> litany of insults. A-
2: an eminent former member of the Democratic caucus, Yoda. As we call you, uh, what what is what how how do we the politics explain? What's the mood uh, among your old colleagues in the House? Because honestly, it does look pretty dark right now. The mood
1: is anxious, and I speak to them uh, literally every day. And by the way, on both sides of the aisle. So for Democrats, the mood is undeniably anxious. Uh, they know that they've got to figure out a path to pass uh, both the, both infrastructure bills. They cannot go into a midterm election, having failed to pass the bipartisan bill and then reconciliation. Um, the withdrawal from Afghanistan uh, has uh, softened the, uh, the ground under them. Uh, and so they're looking at a midterm election that they know is historically bleak. Um, they think there's a path. Remember, it's a three vote uh, margin. They see a path, but Everything has to go right for them in order to retain the majority. And right now, it's, uh, it's been a troubling few months. The, the, on the other side uh, of, of the equation, they believe that if they can get the, the two infrastructure bills passed and if COVID is behind us in terms mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, everyday experience with it, Uh, that they'll be in good shape. I want to say one other thing that I learned yesterday in a conversation with one of my former colleagues. They were banking on the fact that the child tax credit was going to be a big deal for them going into the midterm. And there's data now that shows that a roughly equivalent number of voters are giving Republicans credit for the child tax uh, credit versus the Democrats. And that is a real failure of messaging.
2: Yeah, well, you know, give Trump credit. He signed the checks, right? Mm -hmm. The checks arrived. They had a signature on them. Everybody said it was crass. It was crass. But, you know, it's marketing, man. Yeah. And and he had no compunctions about it. And, yeah, there's no – I think that there's been a real messaging problem. Part of it is that the summer has been so consumed by – the backsliding of COVID, Afghanistan, yeah. that a summer that they were going to use to tout all of these things ended up being spent uh, on issues that that they hadn't
0: anticipated. Right. And uh, that was... That was problematical. But, yeah. I totally agree with that. There's also this thing about the Democrats. You know, it's the old Mills joke about the stupid party and the evil party. The Democrats are terrified of being seen as the dumb party. They want to be the smart party. So they love to argue process. Exactly. They just love it. And they're also disorganized. So they're on cable TV talking, 3.5 trillion, we'll go down to three, you know. And nobody's talking about the candy list, which they have stuffed right. these Huge in horrible spending bills with. And so the Repubs are winning the it, – it, it's like the old uh, political science book, uh, George Lakoff, uh, yes. Don't Think About an Elephant. Well, now we're all thinking about an elephant because the Dems are arguing trillions, which is Republican food. They love it. Right,
2: right. There's no doubt about it. You know, I've said it a million times. When you have these big omnibus bills, the parts are greater than the sum. If you're arguing about the sum
0: and not describing the parts— Uh you've got a problem and that's what
2: we're that's where we've The sum
0: is the Republican game. Yeah. Yeah. The the other thing is Biden, he's looking weak. There's a shot clock here. I, I think the press has really been soft on him. They were hard on Afghanistan. But now, I mean, if a Republican president had had their signature agenda torpedoed by the own party in the first year uh, and is running around taking orders from, you know, backbench members of Congress so showing up to theoretically support the speaker and the next minute putting on a mile cap to blend into the revolt and survive, they would be murdering him. So Biden has gotten a lucky little reprieve here. But if he doesn't start leading this parade and getting in charge and being president, bringing order to the thing, it diminishes the hell out of him. So they've got to break, bust some moves now to change this narrative because it's going to get capped by what could be a bad even if it even if McAuliffe wins by half a point the the casino odds makers are going to say ooh near miss for Biden who's clearly in trouble yada 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 so they need a big shake up Biden in front doing something fast or this decline is going to continue and then of course the midterms are structurally bad yeah. at least in the House yeah. uh, and it's, it starts to circle the drain at that point.
1: There are two bright spots for Democrats in terms of the history of midterms, uh, and they're pinning their hopes on this. It is true that the president's party loses the majority or loses seats in every midterm uh, historically, but there are two exceptions. One is the midterm of 1934, when FDR's uh, Democrats picked up seats in the House, and the other uh, was uh, in 2002, when George Bush's Republicans picked up seats in the House. In both cases, the, the country was emerging from what uh, it, it viewed as an existential crisis. The president was, to Murph's point, was exhibiting leadership, was commanding the narrative, and people did not want to put checks and balances against a president who they believed was leading
2: them out of this crisis.
1: Right. If the Democrats have that mood in 2022, then they can hold on to the majority.
2: Yeah. It's only happened twice since World War II. So mm-hmm. it, it is, you know, the headwinds are, there are natural headwinds here. Mm-hmm. And as you point out, the margin in the House is so small. We've got a redistricting year. Uh, I should ask you about that, by the way, because everybody anticipated that redistricting would be a, a a big net advantage for Republicans. Doesn't really, we're going to talk more about this with Dave Wasserman, I think, maybe next week or the week Nobody's after. Nobody's smarter. Nobody's smarter on redistricting than David. Right. But I mean, his, I know his view is that, uh, you're talking about a zero to five gain for Republicans rather than the 10 that people yep. were anticipating. Part of it actually is, is what happens in your state, uh, and how that exactly. all unfolds. So, wh- how do you see this redistricting thing, uh, as part of the whole mix? How, how how much of a burden, if any, will it be for Democrats?
1: Not what was originally feared. I agree with Wasserman. I think it's uh, zero to five, uh, which is... Uh, about half of what we thought going into this cycle. You're absolutely right. New York is a big deal. You know, people take a look at the country and they say, well, Republicans have control of the maps in so many states. Well, that's true. But so many of those states, you can't add a Democrat to those states, the Republic and you right. can't add a Republican. It is done. It is fixed. The, it's sorted. Um, so you do have states like New York and states like Illinois, where Democrats mm-hmm. do have some control. And when you take a look at it, uh, and kind of assess it over the long term. It really looks like it's going to be um, maybe five, possibly six. In New York, I've seen maps. I love I love looking at these maps in New York because <laughs> it's like do. it's like oh my god! It's like watching <laughs> yeah. you know it's like watching Amazon Prime or something. Right? It's like some people watch television. I look at these maps. I've seen maps <laughs> that do everything from keep the delegation where it is. To leaving Republicans with one seat in the entire state, and now what complicates things is we have a new governor, Andrew Cuomo. When I when I chaired D trip, Andrew Cuomo, he just looked at me looked at me and he said, "I'm not going to get involved in redistricting. Sorry." It's not my mess, your mess.
0: But didn't he tag it with do your worst and a wink? (laughs) (laughs) He was no no shrinking violet in the partisan department.
1: Except I didn't have a magic marker.
0: (laughs) Only he had
1: it and and, and the legislature. Kathy Hochul, our new governor in New York, lost her. She she won in a special election. She lost her next reelect one term. And why did she lose? She came within a hair of surviving. Why did she lose? Because the Republicans redistricted her into an impossible district. And I will be fascinated to see whether Kathy Hochul decides to settle the score.
0: Oh, hell yes. <laughs> I can answer that one. She is going to cry havoc and let slip the dogs of redistricting yeah. because redistricting it for years in most places has been the great sport. Angler and I were always trying to figure out how to put Sandy Levin into Canada, um, you know, because you it, it is it is many sins paid back with enthusiasm.
2: Yeah. Sandy would have been comfortable with the politics up there, I think.
0: Oh, he would have been yeah. NDP all the way, no yeah. doubt about it. But he was too tough to be able to get rid of. The thing Wasman mentions this a lot. One thing people didn't anticipate is even though the red states are growing good for more republican seats in theory blue blue states shrinking the blue states have gotten more blue which has made it easier to murder the republican districts in the blue states and have a couple of net wins there like kinsinger and that has helped the dems um one thing about this new york situation yeah cuomo
2: i could see why he wouldn't get involved because he was thinking about general elections he was, you know, not wanting to antagonize Republican uh, right. voters, figuring that he, he was going to be the nominee. Kathy Hochul very likely will face a primary, and she can actually score points exactly. by, uh, by helping
0: Democrats on this oh, redistricting yeah. issue. So she's That's got right. another impetus yeah. uh, Another do She'll have some staff that. guy looking at her saying, don't you understand, you can save the House of Representatives and then reelect Holcomb, President Holcomb. She'll totally get yeah. that pitch. but by the way you know
1: a good test of this theory about uh, why the republicans aren't picking up as many seats as thought as indiana i'm sure wasserman will talk about that in indiana republicans have total control of redistricting and they made a decision they could have taken a democrat out right we redistricted a democrat out of the the uh, indiana delegation in the house but that would have made it a little tougher for another republican and mm-hmm. so what they decided to do is just fortify that Republican, uh, save that Republican, put that Republican in an absolutely safe seat, which had the effect of helping uh, an adjoining Democrat. Uh, yeah. And that's why in Indiana, the Democrats, I, you know, they're not going to lose. I, I don't think the Democrats are going to lose seats where uh, originally it was thought that they may.
0: Yeah. That's been done before, too. You ask any incumbent, hey, would you rather get another seat for the party 40 miles from here, or would you rather make your seat so so safe you never have to break a sweat? Well, I think make my seat safe. That you yes. know, To thine own self be true is the ultimate rule of most members when they look at redistricting.
2: Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back.
0: Okay, friends, you ever been out strolling, walking the dog or driving in the car, whenever you have a little time to yourself and you think, gosh, I wish I knew more about something. Well, that's where the Blinkist app comes in, because Blinkist takes the top nonfiction books, pulls out the key takeaways, and puts them into text and audio explainers called Blinks that you can learn in just, get this, 15 minutes. You can use Blinks to learn about how to tackle procrastination, get started on developing an idea or a business, or simply how to take your projects one step further. With titles like The Future of Capitalism, or a lot of best-selling business books, or anything, history, you want to learn more about or if you like white house gossip check out fire and fury it's there too these blinks exist from thousands of titles in 27 categories all ready to learn from and again just 15 minutes. You can learn while washing dishes, working out, or winding down. If you like podcasts, and if you're listening to this, I think you probably do, they blink those too with Shortcast. That way you get a cut down version without all the Murphy junk in it. Anyway, take control of your time, creativity, and goals. Learn what you want to learn with the knowledge from thousands of best selling nonfiction books all in one app and right in your pocket so you can learn anytime, anywhere with Blinkist. I mean, I'm a history nut, and I love historical Blinks because I can get right to it, learn something, and then if I'm curious, I go read the whole book or read another book about that category. So how do you get Blinkist? That's why we're here, friends. That's the business we must conduct, and here's how you do it. Blinkist has a special offer just for our Hacks on Tap audience. So all you got to do is go to Blinkist.com hacks to start your Get This 7-Day Free Trial and get 25% off a Blinkist Premium Membership. That's Blinkist, spelled B- B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, blinkist.com slash hacks to get that 25% off and a free seven-day trial. Blinkist.com slash hacks.
2: You know, you mentioned Illinois. Illinois is a pretty good example of, uh, of how this... Works as well. Illinois is losing a seat, uh, but Democrats control the legislature, governor's office. And so uh, Illinois will, the seat they will lose is probably going to be Adam Kinzinger's seat. Uh, it's going to be a Republican seat. It's not going to be a Democratic seat. Uh, I, I think it's more like, it's most likely that that, that the Dems will, will uh, uh, you know, will emerge with their seats intact. And the one seat that's lost will be a GOP seat. So that's, you know,
0: a lot of nuances to this. And a GOP seat that for the good of the country ought to be held just to give Kinsinger a salute. Mm-hmm. But I normally, David, you would know more, but I don't find Illinois Democratic politicians, most of them did not cry when Bambi died. So I think they're <laughs> they're not going to let sentimentality about Adam Kinsinger getting away the knife here. Wait a second, Bambi died? I didn't even know about <laughs> it. When did this happen? Oh, no. God, I'm always the last to know here. <laughs>
2: uh, Steve, one of the things that you hear from uh Virginia is, and we we referenced this earlier, if the House and if the Congress could get their shit together and pass these bills, it'd be really helpful uh, to Terry. Uh, what is your latest sense of how this is going to roll? I mean, do you think this gets done before that election?
1: I don't know whether it gets done before the November election, but everybody that I talk to uh, says that it will be done.
2: But I'm thinking about poor Terry McAuliffe. Uh, yeah. Will, uh, <laughs> Ken. I don't know. Uh, you yeah. know, I, I look,
1: uh, honestly, um, m- members uh, of the Democratic caucus are making calculations based on what's in their best interest, and I'm not sure they care all that much about Terry uh, in those calculations. So I don't think that that becomes a motivating factor for them uh, to pass these bills. They do see it as a motivating factor to get to yes before the midterm.
2: Yeah, well, they, they have to do that. I, I'm good. I have to ask you, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds uh here because we are hacks. We're not policy guys but uh since Thank we God. have not a bedwetter not a bad comedian but one of the most brilliant incisive legislative minds of our generation with us i have to ask you about how this thing is unfolding because pelosi who you know very very well yes sent a letter last night to members which you may have seen And, uh, basically there is this thing going on in these negotiations, uh, a debate about whether you should just take all the priorities that are in the legislation as written 3.5 trillion and just shrink it down in terms of time. And, and, uh, you know, you basically play with the, 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 the dates so that, you know, they'd have to be renewed later. The, the bet being that Republicans aren't going to want to take away something that much like the Affordable Care Act that people come to appreciate. Uh, and then there are others who's, uh, and Pelosi apparently is with them uh, who say, no, let's do a few things well and really cement them in for the long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, her, you know, she's got, for example, a huge uh uh interest in shoring up the uh, the Affordable Care Act uh, for the for the long term. And uh, the progressives seem to be on the side of shrinking it down and keeping all the priorities intact. Moderates seem to be more about the uh, taking the the other tack. And then you have the subplot which is I think in the th- the 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 formulation that Pelosi's talking about, uh, the Affordable Care Act subsidies are in and Bernie's prized expansion of Medicare to include eyeglasses hearing aids uh and uh dental vernie likes dental yes uh well if they pass the plan that the house is talking about they're going to put some chompers right on his butt here because that's not dental's
0: not going to be in and neither are vision
2: and and hearing so how does this all sort
0: out well it's congress so everybody has a program they won't cut but what, what do you think steve
1: uh, look Pelosi and I, I you know I, I was I would sit with her in leadership meetings sometimes one a day sometimes hourly sometimes several times an hour so I have a good yeah. sense of, of her leadership style she doesn't think for the moment she's thinking about next week she's thinking about vir- the Virginia race she's thinking about the midterms and she's thinking about the success of the Biden presidency and when she projects to those long-term metrics uh, she, understands that her imperative is getting something passed. Just get to 218, whatever. It's like Play-Doh, right? You shape it, you squeeze it, you form it, you push it through the cracks. Whatever is going to get you to 218 votes is what we're going to pass. And so she is going to work the problem solvers. I had a long conversation just the other day with uh, Congressman Gottheimer. She's continuing to work the progressives. Those are the moderates, if, yeah. If, yeah, the, the moderate problem solvers. Um, And the other thing she will do is, and she's just brilliant at this, Dave, and you know it because you you worked with her as well. Um, If if there's not enough to satisfy a critical mass of 218, she'll find other things to put in there that Mm -hmm. may not have been in there originally. So it's not like one from column A, one from column B. She'll go to as many columns as she needs to until she can get both of these bills done. And as soon as she senses 218 votes, Boom. It's on the floor. You vote for
0: it. Isn't that an incentive, though, to go? I mean, the smart political move is clearly pick a big winner and fund it well. And that way you have a debate about the big winner, which is better politics rather than having a debate about $2.2 $2 or whatever the new number is. But if she's got to do the legislative politics of getting to the number mm-hmm. by, okay, you want to outlaw the metric system, Zoltan, that's your big issue. All right, we'll slip that in to get you. That, that naturally incentivized the dime store New Deal theory of cut everything down and have a little bit of something for everybody, which makes the communications harder. But it might be the price you pay to finally get a win here. But it seems like they're loggerheads to me, the smart political thing and the coalition politics are getting to the vote because so many progressives have so many programs they're quote unquote demanding. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, I've talked to some of these uh, moderates, their their
1: individual polling in their districts, they're doing very well right now as a result of this position that they've taken. And as you know, every member of Congress has lots of different imperatives and priorities, but imperative one is getting reelected. And the, the moderates believe that they have the political high ground right now. Now you have AOC who at a recent caucus meeting stood up and said, well, let me tell you what I hear in my district. Let me tell you what my, you know, what the base is saying. You, you can't just win with the base in the midterm election. You've got to win people in Brooklyn, New York, in AOC's district. Uh, and you got to win people in Brooklyn, Iowa. And you, yeah, you, that's so right. you can't, you can't. You can't win a midterm unless you win both, and you're not going to win both unless you get to 218, pass these bills, change the narrative, and give people uh, an excuse for coming out and voting in a low-term Of course,
2: the, you know, the part of this Rubik's Cube is you've got to pass it out of the House, and you've got to pass it out of the Senate. Yeah. I mean, this is you know. I think back to the Affordable Care Act, and it was monstrously complicated. And Pelosi navigated; she was the Sherpa who navigated
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, through that. But uh, you know, there was a little bit of a cushion in the Senate. Uh, so uh, now you've got you've got a couple of players over there, mansion, and I think particularly cinema, who are difficult. And I guess my question, Steve, is at what point does the president have to bring the hammer down, and say, "Listen." This is the deal. Uh, we can all go yeah. down together, or we or we move forward. I mean, the moderates have already won a big concession because it's not going to be three point five trillion. Right. It, and so, at some point, when does he say to cinema uh, and uh, I think and, and to Mansion, this is the this is the best deal we can get. You're getting your infrastructure plan uh, and. I got to have you. Well, Manchin has put out a number. Uh, I was with him, and full disclosure,
1: we're, we're close. And I, I was with him the other night in, in D.C. and On the boat? You know,
0: uh, not on the boat, but we could see the boat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we could see the boat from where we were.
0: <laughs> yeah, just for our listeners, being an interesting character and in the fiscal saver yeah. of America, in my view, he lives on a houseboat like Quincy. Uh, he's, he's kind of that kind of cool guy. I
2: loved, the, I loved him talking to the protesters in their boats
0: oh, right. from
2: the back of his boat. That was a great scene. Anyway. My,
1: my former colleague, uh, Gary Ackerman, used to. he had a houseboat in that same arena, and uh, the name of that houseboat was The Unsinkable Two. So
0: figure <laughs> a bunch of them do it. Dirk Kempthorne, the former yeah. senator, and governor of Idaho, has a boat, too. There, there's yeah. a whole fleet of these guys.
1: So Manchin, um, he said a few a few things. First of all, you know, everybody seems, you know, shocked by his position. You know, he said, when did I ever run for the Senate or any office in West Virginia saying that I was for more spending? When did that ever happen? Nobody should be surprised by my position. Number two. He put out a number. It may not be what the progressives want, but he did put out a number. And he's you and know, that
0: was like one eight, right. one seven. Wasn't that the number approximate? It was a little under two. That's called a negotiation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he's willing to negotiate. But I think, you know, you talked about uh, you made a reference to the New Deal. I think it all boils down to this. This is the consequence of affixing a New Deal-type program on a three-vote majority in the House yeah, right, and a one-vote majority in the Senate. Yeah, No wonder we're
0: in a, a deadlock. We don't have a margin to play with. Right. No, exactly. And the progressives never seem to understand that. By the way, doesn't that also tell you that maybe the country isn't ready for a New Deal since they won't elect enough people in favor of it? I'll just throw that out to... You know, maybe I, something like, smaller is not such a bad idea.
1: Look, it's, it's there's no question it's going to, it's going to come in smaller. I mean, look, the 1.2 trillion is going to pass. The bipartisan bill is going to pass. The House already passed the Senate. They know that they're going to have to chop it down from uh, the 3 trillion plus. Uh, and then the question is, where between 1.5 trillion and 3 trillion, where uh, will it end up? It's hard to figure that out when you only have a three vote majority. To get you to that number.
2: And, uh, and Murphy, apropos to your point earlier, uh, I just want to remind you, because I listen intently to every freaking <laughs> word you say.
0: Whenever apropos comes up, I'm in trouble. So here we go.
2: I think that if you ask people in this country individually about the programs that are contained within this package, they'd be very much for the elements of this package. But you were right. If it's just an argument about money, uh, then it becomes a more difficult argument. But uh, I guess my point was, I-, I agree with you, Steve, that Biden, his political fortunes and the Democratic Party's political fortunes depend not only on passing these bills, but on also his going into that midterm election looking like a guy who's yeah. in command. And uh, he may need to be in command now. <laughs> you know, He may need to just <laughs> basically say, okay, this has been fun. We've all heard each other. We all know what the bottom line is. It's time to go. It's time to move. And I'm asking you, as the president of the United States and as the leader of your party, I'm asking you uh, now to come along on this. And, uh, you know, a lot is riding on this and a lot is riding on you. I mean, at some point, doesn't he have to do that? Well, yeah. So he went to the house. Uh, he did go to Capitol Hill in the closing minutes of,
1: of, you know, of the game, uh, and, and made an appeal and, and made a calculation. Uh, and I don't pretend to understand how the calculation was made, but I do respect the political instincts of this administration that it just wasn't ready and they needed to go into overtime.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, so I got to respect that. But at, at a certain point, overtime ends. Before the midterm election, he's going to have to say, this is it. You're either with me or against me.
0: Yeah, the fans are already heading to the parking lot. So I'm I, if I were him, somebody I'll tell him, sir, that, that noise you hear outside, those aren't our rifles. So we need you to put on the general cap and get out there and rally the troops. Now, I've got to ask you, Steve, I've been obsessed with this. You know Nancy Pelosi well. Uh, how do you think she felt about Biden showing up and joining the revolution on a day she was trying like a good speaker to move this damn thing forward with a tough deadline and probably some hard whipping i have to I would think she'd feel a little undercut by that i'm I'm not just trying to make trouble here, but yeah, you're trying to make trouble. Come on, well, no, no, but you know Pelosi <laughs> always gets laudits and plaudits that are well deserved as a really good speaker, and she was doing her thing, and she was in the corner, and they brought the president to the hill, but not necessarily to help her to put on the mile cap, as I said, and join the, uh, join the revolution. I, she had to feel a little mugged by that. I would think, I mean, you know, her personality, she's a tough Paul. She's probably not surprised by the pragmatic move, but a little awkward.
1: Hey, if it was a mugging, it was like a pre noticed mugging. And she does not, she, <laughs> yeah, I, I right. have to believe that, uh, the white house said, is this a good idea or a bad idea? Uh, and Pelosi thought again. We're in the closing minutes. Remember, she had scheduled this bill for a vote on Monday, then yep. Tuesday, then Wednesday. Now it's Thursday. The House is recessing on Friday. I have to believe that she thought that it was a good idea for him to come up and apply additional pressure on. Marcus.
2: Well, you know, and, and and you know, I read it a little bit differently, Mike. I because to me, what he was saying was to the uh, to the moderates. He was saying, you know what we're not going to have a vote today we can't have a vote today and i understand that's a sacrifice on your part to the progressives he was saying we're not going to have a 3.5 trillion dollar program it's going to be more like two yeah. or 2.1 and so to me that that's that was probably the right message which is you know what everybody's given here everybody's giving something now I think for his own political pur- purposes, Gothheimer went out and slapped the far left around and probably went up five points in his district uh, for doing it. Cinema did the same in Arizona.
0: And it- won a place in my heart, but but yes. Yeah, yeah. I know. Your vote is meaningless to him, but yes. <laughs> no, I actually know him. He's a patriot. So, <laughs> But here's the next step. If Biden did that, Isn't the big move now, because they need a big move, it's time to take a risk or two if you're Biden, because you're starting to circle the drain a little bit. You grab Schumer and a couple of the progressive ringleaders and Nancy or her designee, and you haul them all to Camp David, and you publicly lock everybody in there, and four days from now, you announce a deal, and then you're king of the world. Or you die trying because you're already in big trouble. I mean, doesn't he have to make to your point about leadership? I don't think it's a subtle thing now. I think he ought to really make a big move that people understand and win it. That is how the reset works, and that would not be bad for Brother McAuliffe either. What if you don't
1: have the deal, though? I mean, I think are yeah. you know, well, talking well, about You it.
0: simple it. I, I'm always a believer in politics. Never give anybody an essay question. You sit them down. So here's the deal. We either land on 2.1 in the next four days, and you go back and sell it, and we stand out here and announce it's done. Or guess what? Trump's going to be your next president. McCarthy or Scalise are your next speaker, and maybe we hold on to the Senate. You're, the world is Pick A or B. Yeah. Well, first of all,
2: uh, I think they've already agreed on 2.1. The, the sticking point is what's in the 2.1. Well,
0: that, that's an easier fight in some ways.
2: And uh, so they got to work that out. And it's not uh, Pelosi and Schumer who are the obstacles here. It is, you know, individual Steve points out everybody's an entrepreneur in a Congress this divided. So, uh, you know, it's more complicated than just getting the leaders up there. Um, the leaders, I think, are fine. I think he's got to get the message across to the, uh, to the entrepreneurs that, you know, you're actually a franchisee. You're not independent. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think that's where, that's where we're at. But I do think, Mike, I, I agree with you that, I mean, I, I think we're coming to the point where he, he needs to sort of, he needs to use what leverage he has as president of the United States and leader of the Democrats to say, guys, Everybody's given. This is the best we can do. We're gonna rise and fall together. I'm asking you to to help us rise, and uh, I need you.
0: And let them look him in the eye and say, "No, you don't have me." Oh yeah, no, he's got to corner him and use the whip. But I'm saying, do the high risk thing publicly because the subtle moves are just eating everything alive. I remember one of my governors once. We had a couple of three malcontents that were holding up a huge vote in the state legislature. He pulled them in the room. And basically, it was late at night and said, so here's the deal. We don't get this thing done by lunch tomorrow. You're, you're taking the whole ship down. So I want you to go home tonight. I want you to think about it. And tomorrow morning, I love you so much. I'm going to send a Cadillac to pick you up. You got to decide if it's a limousine or a hearse. And uh, we got all three. I uh, was an outstanding governor at that legislature so they stuff. weren't so, going to take that they weren't going to take that lying down huh <laughs> Oh, how about that Now done. off the hook well for the grassley talking jokes joke, i've been rescued <laughs> yes. by the way grassley now at 88 has a new campaign slogan 23 skidoo now that didn't work either okay no. old jokes just don't go here you guys are too old you understand the kids, they like an old joke.
2: No, but I will tell you, completely unrelated to this, greatest slogan of all time was this alderman, Casey Laskowski, who was also a funeral director in Chicago. He, I think he was elected six times. He always ran under the same slogan, he'll be the last to let you down.
0: <laughs> so, There was a county politician who allegedly ran. He was a veterinarian taxidermist. Either way, you get your pet back
2: yes yes you want to throw a corny joke in here steve
0: or should we go to the mailbag
1: i think uh we go right to the mailbag i think we've had enough of these we've had enough of this silliness <laughs> we, we yes. need a
0: rescue music right now It's listener mailbag. <laughs> <laughs> well thanks jeff fox for bailing us out yeah yeah that was the rescue music okay hackaroos if you have a question for the hack send it to us if you had one a year ago, way over a hundred shows now, send another one. We, we, If we missed you last time, that doesn't mean we don't want to hear your questions. We just get plenty of these, and we do. We're actually looking at them right now. So, how do you do it? Well, you go to your computer, your smartphone, and you type an email to our mailbag, hacksontap at gmail.com. That's hacksontap at gmail.com. And while you're typing, don't forget to subscribe to the free Hacksontap Tap newsletter. It comes out twice a week. Gibbs and I do it. We give you the real lowdown, a lot of trivia and other stuff you don't hear about here. It's Lot of fun, and as I said, comes through email totally free. Just go to hacksontap.bulletin.com, hacksontap.bulletin.com.
2: Well, Steve, I've got a question from Steve, which is a little suspicious. Always when you, <laughs> but anyway, uh, Steve says, "Will the Texas abortion ban have any impact in Democrats' favor, regardless of historical precedent, midterms favoring the party out of power?" Yes, absolutely. It is,
1: in my view, a horrific public policy, likely to be replicated in other states, but as a political tool, it is likely a major gift to the Democrats. And the reason is, as I stated before, midterm elections are all about voter turnout and energy. Uh, The president's party generally in a midterm just doesn't have intensity. Uh, The president's opponents do. Whoever owns intensity and turnout wins the midterm. Um, This issue is likely to energize uh, and uh, send out uh, many more voters uh, than would be normal in a midterm election. And the precedent for this that I think about is in uh, the 2018 midterm. Remember right after uh, the uh, the, uh, inauguration of Donald Trump, what happened in like the 48 hours after that, you had millions and millions of women doing these marches across America. That was an ignition of energy that was harnessed. And then you had women who marched on the streets and then decided that they were going to run for Congress in those midterm elections. And the Democrats just crushed it in the 2018 midterm election based on that energy, mostly among women, suburban women, moderate women. If these decisions, I believe, in Texas and elsewhere are likely to have the same effect for Democrats, create that energy, if they can harness that energy, it absolutely helps uh, Democratic turnout. And I will finally say that I've talked with my former Republican colleagues uh, who are nervous about that one thing, that these cases are going to really uh, energize uh, their opposition.
2: And we could get a Supreme Court ruling uh, in June which is right as the uh, the campaign season is entering the final the final month. So Exactly. But I, I will say Trump was president in two thousand eighteen, so that obviously turbocharged. It was the first time mm-hmm. people had a chance to vote after two thousand sixteen and that and you know, we all remember the women's march after uh uh, inauguration day. There was a lot of pent-up energy there. We'll see if that can be recreated here.
0: It's also a formula not only for the Dems to raise a ton of money, but libertarian Republicans hate the turn-in-your-neighbor part of the Texas law. So there's kind of a an attack on it from the right that has power. And finally, where it'll work most is the most important geography, which is the suburbs in the key Senate states, which is where the real battle is, even more than the House in a lot of ways. So it's trouble for the R's. Okay, David, from Jocelyn, who wants to know for you, one 2022 Senate race that isn't being talked about is Pat Leahy's seat in Vermont. What happens if he retires or fails to complete, assuming he was reelected, his new term? Given how popular the Republican governor, Phil Scott, is. Ah, maybe a bad appointment. When he's like 118, how old is Leahy? Do we think he's going to run, David? 81. Well, that's a... What's your take? Oh, a youngster. Jocelyn, the
2: question you you ask is really underscores uh, something that we've been talking about throughout this podcast, which is, you know, in a 50-50 Senate, the uh, leadership of the Senate really rests with any one member. If... uh, Something God forbid should happen to Senator Leahy or who's 81 or Senator Sanders, uh, from the same state who's, uh, who's what about 80? Then the Republican governor there, uh, who's, who is popular and probably will be reelected, Phil Scott, uh, has the, uh, the opportunity to replace them. And that could shift the leadership of the Senate. I don't believe you guys that Leahy has said that he's running for reelection yet. Have you heard? I don't think so.
1: No, I have heard that um, his, his staff said that he generally makes these decisions a year out, a year away from the election. So we should wait for that time frame.
2: Yeah. But uh, I mean, that, that is concerning. It's kind of a grim discussion, but it's a real one. The fate of the, the Senate and the Biden program and so on rests with the ability of every Democrat to, to uh, continue there. So we'll see about that, Jocelyn. Mike Murphy, someone named Elkins, which sounds like a good Texas name, actually. Elkins says, do you think Arnold Schwarzenegger, which doesn't sound like a good Texas name, reached out to McConaughey, Matthew McConaughey, the actor who's talking about running for governor, regarding his potential bid for governor of Texas? If so, what pointers do you think he would give to McConaughey, who or is it McConaughey,
0: who seems like he's not interested in either party? Well, that is a great question, and I don't know. I will ask the Schwartz what's going on and try to get a recap of the conversation. I'm sure it start with, oh, you have a lot of vows, and your name too." <laughs> but uh, my guess is Arnold probably did, you know, with the dis and the dat and the ease and s And so I'll find out. You know, what he would tell him is run against politics and be yourself. Because when non-politicians try to be politicians, it's bad for everybody. Now, McConaughey has done a great job, and I have seen a lot of secret polling data about this, and the lieutenant governor's race, where there's a powerful independent thinking about it. And the bottom line is, Abbott is in some trouble, but Texas is still more red than blue, and he is strong among the R's. He's going to easily win his primary, and where McConaughey is is... It's kind of been, even though his vibe is kind of Democrat in Hollywood, people don't know. He's doing a philosopher-poet thing where he kind of floats above the race, which is working for him now. The problem is, as you guys know, when you become a candidate, you get the second look. All right, where do you stand on this? Where do you stand on that? And that's where it gets harder. And if I don't know if McConaughey is able to handle that. Arnold handled it well. By talking about big changes in the state, he had Warren Buffett as an economic advisor. He was loaded up to pass the second look. I'm not seeing that yet from McConaughey. I don't know how well prepared they are, but um, I
2: can't even figure out what he's thinking in those Lincoln commercials that he does. So,
0: you <laughs> know, there's a, there's a lot of <laughs> it, mysteries. It's simple acts. Buy a Lincoln, you look like him, and oh, they've set sales oh, records. So that's there you all go. it takes. Huh? A little subtext I mean, there. So anyway, I think he might run. But this thing, this is the it's an interesting beginning. He's using his celebrity well, and Arnold would probably give him some good tips. So here's my question. If he runs,
2: uh, it seems clear that Beto O'Rourke's going to run on the Democratic side. If McConaughey runs, is that a bigger problem for uh, Democrats, or does he actually put the race in play by taking some
0: independent-leaning uh, Republicans away from Abbott? It would be a bigger problem for the Dems who start with the problem. Beto's numbers aren't that great. I was kind of surprised in the data I'm seeing. Bottom line is it becomes a plurality race, and Abbott has the advantage there. It splits yeah. the non-Abbott.
2: Well, uh, we didn't even mention the fact that he just uh, signed an order of banning all mandates relative to vaccines in the state of Texas even in private companies. Yeah, well,
0: another anti-Republican point of view. By the way, the lieutenant governor race is interesting. There is, and like most places, is a very powerful job. You have Matthew Dowd, the Democratic hack turned Republican hack, now Democratic candidate, running for the Democratic nomination against a guy who almost beat governor Dan Pat- Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick last time. So you got a real primary there. And then Dan Patrick, who is in weaker shape than Abbott and is vulnerable if the Democrats could get their act together.
2: Who is a lunatic, uh, let me say. Can we say that on the podcast? I think so. And uh, should be vulnerable. So, yeah, we'll see. Uh, lieutenant governors is a very powerful office in that state, arguably as powerful as the governor's office. because
0: right. It's one of the only places where a lieutenant – normally they, they give him a closet for an office in the in the, in the the basement of the Capitol. We are under a mandate
2: to let yes. uh, Congressman Israel go.
0: Because so, he's important. He's no I got joke, bookstore he's know, I'm just a – Bookstore proprietor, I've got to go open the doors. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, you're a humble greengrocer like Marty Sorrell. Yeah, the name of the bookstore is Theodore's. It's Not open right? yet. It'll
1: be open in November. It's Theodore's Books in lovely Oyster Bay, Long you're Island. You're all
2: invited to the opening on, uh, in November. Uh, bring, bring. Bring lots of money and
0: a voracious appetite for <laughs> how much? How much do we love, Steve Israel, that when you get this place up and running and after the local complaints and the permit yeah. problems and you're about to switch Republican, I will lure David Axelrod out of one of his mansions and we can tape a live Hacks on tap there with you. Let's do site. it. Let's do it. Now yeah, we're glad. I, we're
2: especially in. happy yes, we'll, I came today. Yay. Yes. And then we can go over and see the Theodore Roosevelt site. Oh,
0: it's All amazing. right,
2: Steve Israel. Thanks, guys. Great Thank to see you. It was <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Murphy, I'll see you next time.
0: All righty, Axe. See you then. Bye, everybody.